1: the God who is we worship the God
2: For those of you who don't know, just like Don said, um, I'm Cody Webster. Um, I'm going to be a senior for Portales High School, and I know what you're thinking. He's a little young, uh, but 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no one despite you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So that's the reason I'm up on stage right now. Um, okay, so first thing, question. Can I just do a show of hands of those who like to run? There's a couple, but I'd like to see a little bit more. Um that's me. I love to run. Um, I've been running cross-country since I was an eighth grader. And before that, my running experience was zilch. I couldn't run, unathletic, didn't like running. Um, I had nothing better to do, so in the great words of the ever-famous Forrest Gump, I just kept running. <laughs> so I ran varsity athlete for cross-country. All, f- all four seasons I've ran except three races. So that's a lot of races under my belt, 35 cross-country races. Um, and each race is 3.1 miles. So if we do a little math, that's 108 and a 108.5 miles of competitive running. Um, little To show that in this perspective, that's running from here to Artesia. And that's just races, not accounting for all of my practices and off-season training. And so it's just... And it's crazy, because it doesn't matter where I'm running at, how long I've been running for, whenever I was an eighth grader and still even going for a run today, my mind always tells me when I'm running, stop, 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 I'm tired, I don't want to go anymore, I just wish I was done, I want to sit down, I want water. And so it's kind of crazy that no matter how experienced you are, you're always tired, you want to quit. And every cross-country coach who I've ever had or every person who does running will tell you, it's all mental. It's all mental, not physical. Your brain is the first muscle that goes out, not your legs or your arms or your heart. It's your brain. Um, it says in Matthew 24, 13, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Um, you just got to keep going. And so what I'm trying to say is when Jesus was on the cross, at any moment he could have made it stop. He had the power, and we both know He did. He performed miracles. He turned water to wine. He turned, he fed thousands with bread and fish. And so we knew he had the power to do it, but he chose not to. He died on the cross so we could live in paradise. He kept going. He didn't quit. He endured the pain and suffered. He had the endurance. He took the pain so we can live in heaven. By your heads. And Jesus, dear God, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for everything you allow us to do. We thank you for letting us come together and praise and worship in your name. We pray that you look over us through this next week and help us better ourselves and to be better humans. And we pray that this communion will show that we're trying to get better and we want to step towards you and step away from sin. In Jesus' name pray. Amen.
0: Almost a hundred years after the Titanic, the Italian cruise liner Costa Concordia crashed. I waited until after Franklin Marie got back from their cruise to share this story. Because it have freaked him out bad, so uh, I don't really want to do that. But January 13, twenty twelve, almost a hundred years after the Titanic, uh, this boat struck a reef off the coast of Italy. It tore a hundred and sixty foot gash in the side of the ship. The ship immediately listed to starboard like this, and uh, couldn't uh, they couldn't get the, the lifeboats off. They trapped a lot of passengers inside, and it couldn't deploy. Sadly, 34 people died in this tragedy compared to the Titanic, which was over 1500 and that horrible song. But um, this this one gained attention for a different reason, not as much for this. Now, you might remember that image, but it got attention because of the captain. His name was Francesco Schettino. And uh, in 2002, at the age of 41, he went to work for Carnival Costa. Costa is one of the Carnival lines, and uh, he came in out of the Italian Navy, was well-respected, but was pretty uh, sharp. He was known to be a little bit of a rebel and a little bit of a ha-head, but in 2006, was given his first command. It was the Concordia. It was a brand-new ship. He was the first one. He was the only uh, captain of that ship, and... Uh, He was known to do some oddball things. Uh, They uh, surmised there might have been a dancer on the uh, helm at the ship at that time. And I'm not talking just a ballerina, if you're tracking with me here. Uh, His blood alcohol content was at .24, and he was driving a ship and... uh, uh, they attempted a wave at a, commun- a small city. They tried to cl- pull close and wave at this community called uh, Gilio and struck a reef. And that's when it all went awry. But it's not all of that. It's his response that got this story so big. He responded by doing the unthinkable. He abandoned ship. We all know, I mean, we've all seen pirates. We all know that the captain goes down with his ship, but he abandoned ship. He got on one of the first lifeboats and he ran away. He was hit. He hid. He was paralyzed with fear. There's even recordings of the Coast Guard finding him and telling him, get back out there and help rescue those people. He was just paralyzed. He was petrified. He refused to go back. He was vilified in the media. Uh, he was caught. He was arrested, tried over several years. He was convicted. He's serving 20 years in an Italian prison. He ran away. He blew it. Now, you may not have crashed an ocean liner, but by show of hands, how many in here have ever blown it? Look around. Do you? <laughs> for those that are don't have your hands up, You're lying, and you shouldn't do that in church, right? Uh, Have you ever taken a trip down the wrong road? Have you ever thought of yourself more than others? You didn't mean to hurt them, but you did. Maybe it was the drinking that hurt your marriage, maybe it was the temper that hurt your children can a wrecked person ever be rebuilt can a runaway somebody that is super blown it can they ever come back our summer series we're calling road trip taking god with you wherever you go and i hope you look real close and see all the artwork that franklin did on it the license plate and the the bumper sticker on there and looking at some of the characters for those of you that are in the back the bumper sticker says do not do you follow jesus this closely so you know it's good um um Last couple of weeks, we've looked at Jonah, we've looked at Balaam, we've looked at some people that have taken some wrong roads. We're going to continue in that thing, but all summer, we're going to look at a lot of different ways to take God with us. And I want to look at little Johnny the deserter. It's a habit that he has, and he shows up first in Acts chapter 12. So if you join me there, if you have your Bibles, get your apps out. How many of you brought your Bibles with you? Lift them up, lift them up. We want to be in a habit of being in the Bible. If you're online, welcome. We're glad you're listening. If you're on the radio, thanks for tuning in. We're going to be in Acts chapter 12 to start out with. But this story is one that you probably recognize. It's when Peter is in prison. Peter's in prison, he's been locked up for preaching and an angel comes in, gets him out of free, wakes him up, gets him out, walks him out of the prison. In fact, Peter thinks he's dreaming at one point, point. and he goes back to his fellow church people and we remember the story of the, you know he knocks on the door and the little girl won't open the door because she thinks he's dead, and her name is Rhoda, and that's who, who we usually focus on in this story. but listen real close and see if you see him here in Acts chapter 12. Starting in verse 11, Acts 12 and verse 11. Peter came, finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said, the Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. Did you see him? You notice, like I said, we mainly focus on Rhoda, the little girl. But the first mention of him in Scripture is not even really for him. It is to differentiate his mother. It says uh, Mary, the mother of John Mark, because Mary is a very common name, and there is a lot of Marys. And so he's trying, the writer's trying to differentiate which Mary it was. Now what's really interesting here, there's some really cool history about this. John is a Jewish name. And it's a very common Jewish name. There's lots and lots. Mark, however, is a Gentile name. And that's interesting. And this little two verses can tell us a couple of really huge things. Number one, it tells us that his mom was very devout. They were having, it said they went back to the where they were all meeting together. She was hosting the church. So the mother believed, there's a good possibility the mother was a widow uh, or something along that line because the dad is never mentioned. But it does mention John Mark. And it also means that G- John Mark has a relationship with Peter and Peter knows him. And it has caused a debate among a lot of scholars for years that Mark might have actually been a Gentile. Not a Jewish believer, not one that was raised in the Jewish church, but a Gentile. Maybe, maybe not. There's not any corroboration one way or the other. And you might be sitting there going, Don, what does that matter? I don't really, I'm not trying to get a master's in Bible. Why does that matter? It matters this. Everybody has baggage. You hearing me? Everybody has a past. Everybody has something they've done. Every person you come in contact with is battling something and and it's too easy for church people to look and say see they need to they need to straighten up their life when we don't know the shoes they've walked in we don't know what they've gone through and we as christ followers we're supposed to have a different eyesight we're supposed to have a different attitude we're supposed to be different than the world. We should look at them with love. We need to put ourselves in their shoes. Now, maybe that's uncomfortable. Maybe it goes against some of our, what we believe. But until we understand how they have lived where they've lived, we can't judge other people. We're not supposed to. God is calling us to, to see that other people have baggage. Now, listen, I'm not okaying every behavior. Don't walk out of here, Don says, it's okay to do whatever you want to. No, that's not what I said. I'm saying, look at the character. Can you hear me there? Look at at a person and go deeper than just looking at what their situation is. You see, this is not the first time you meet little Johnny Mark. You actually meet him in another place, but his name doesn't show up. Go back with me to Mark chapter 14. And in this passage... We see his habit of running away. Mark chapter 14, we're going to be in 51 and 52. Now this this story only shows up in the book of Mark. And it is after Judas has betrayed Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So we're at the end, right? We're right at the end of Jesus' life. They've been in the garden. Judas has already done the kiss. They're hauling Jesus away. Look in Mark chapter 14 and verse 51. Mark 14, verse 51. In fact, go back to 50. Start at verse 50. Then all his disciples deserted him and ran away. One young man following behind was clothed only in a long linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. Okay, what in the world is that there for? All right. That is the most random story I've ever seen in Scripture. I probably have breezed over it a dozen times. But when you really look into the character of John Mark, there's the grandest possibility we know who this person is. Because it only shows up in the book of Mark, and the way it's written, it says a certain young man, one young man, A lot of the scholars believe the author of the book is probably that young man. Guess who the author of the Gospel of Mark is? John Mark. Could be. It could be. I'm not saying specifically. I'm just saying it could be that he is showing his pattern of abandoning ship. And this is where it's starting. A habit of giving up. Let me ask you a question. Do you start something and not finish it? Go ahead, you can laugh. And I am not attacking you for all of the stuff that's on your craft table or all the projects that are in your garage, because all of you are going, oh, my gosh. Man, he is really meddling today. And we gave him a week off, and, man, he's all fired up. So, no, no, that's not it. I'm not not griping about your projects. I'm just saying, do we have a habit of starting something? You hearing me? Do we give up when it gets tough? At work, at a relationship, on a diet. Aristotle once said, "We are what we repeatedly do." You've probably seen a cute little quotey of that. We are what we repeatedly do. But a, a Christian author named Christine Langley came along and said, "We repeat what we don't repair." Now listen to that all together. If Aristotle says we are what we repeatedly do. And if we repeat those things, maybe something isn't repaired. What do you need to repair so you'll not repeat the habit of giving up? I believe God is speaking to somebody here. I believe God is, is trying to get you to understand. I'm here, and I'm with you, and I will not give up. Just like Cody said, we keep running. We run the race, and we don't stop. See, that's not the only place we see Mark doing that. Probably his most famous place is in Acts chapter 13. So flip back over there. You're going, man, you're building a whole lot out of a verse that doesn't even say that. No, stick with me in Acts chapter 13. and And this is a slide that Franklin used. God wants us to make the right choice we see Mark making some choices here. John Mark and Johnny or Mark, they're all the same people when I'm talking this way. In Acts chapter 13, Paul is starting out on his first missionary journey. Okay? We know Paul in the New Testament wrote a bunch of stuff. He's done a lot of incredible things. He starts out his missionary journey. We're going to go tell people about Jesus. He gets Barnabas. He gets John Mark. And they go. The very first place they go to is a place called Paphos. As soon as they get there, this... Sorcerer named Elimus starts yelling at him and cursing them and calling them names. Paul gets mad, turns around and and yells at him, and God makes the guy blind. Now, part of you could say, "Wow, that should fire him up." Part of you could say, "That weirded me out, right? Uh, I don't want to be a part of that, right?" So it's all kinds of things that happen. Paul confronts him, there's yelling, there's conflict, all this kind of stuff. Later on in Galatians, we find out that Paul got a disease, caught a, he got sick while he was on Paphos. So follow in Acts chapter 13. We're going to stay in Acts, so stick around there. But Acts 13, listen in verse 13, chapter 13 and verse 13. Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia. Landing by the port town of Perga, there John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. Okay, did you notice what it said at the end of verse 13? John Mark left them. I looked at all kinds of different versions. It all They all said something like, John Mark departed. John Mark left. Nothing. Just, just, he just left. No reason given. Could it be? Now, just play with me a little bit here. Could it be homesickness? Yes, no. Uh, hey, you're traveling for a long time. Is that reasonable? Okay, it could be homesickness. Could be, Could he have got this illness that Paul got? That's a possibility. Could there be some bitterness? Because he's? we find out later that he's the cousin of Barnabas, and Paul has taken the lead, and, well, maybe he wanted his cousin to be the cheese. Could there be some bitterness there? could be. Could there be some disillusionment with ministry? Hey, man, I signed on to be a missionary, tell people about Jesus. This guy's yelling at me and cursing me, and I don't know what's going to happen. Could there be some disillusionment? Could there be some flat-out exhaustion? Okay, I'm just asking... All the Scripture says there is that Mark departed. Could it have been? Is it reasonable to pursue that it could have been one of those or multiples of those reasons? Yes or no? Okay. Let me ask you this. Have you ever felt any of those? Exhaustion. Disillusionment. Frustration. Homesickness. Would any of those be reasonable? Yes, they would, because Christianity is hard. Faithful living is hard. Endurance is hard. Gody said it. Your body is telling you to stop. This is too much work. I don't want to do this. Being a Christian is too much work. Uh, Dr. J. Robert Clinton is a professor at Fuller, Fuller Theological Seminary. He's been teaching leadership design classes for years, and what christian leadership is and he's worked on his doctoral thesis and continues this work he studies people in the bible he's found over a thousand people in the bible that would be classified as leaders now maybe they're good leaders maybe they're bad leaders maybe they're just briefly mentioned so and so was king so and so was the leader of the tribe there's about a thousand that he's found in scripture but he found 49 people that we can see the beginning of God in their life and the end of God in life. 49 people that he saw that were leaders, that were called by God, and did what God said. There were 49 of them, and he said only 30% of them did everything God designed for them to do. That means 70% failed on what God had called them to do, and that should jolt us, people. That should scare us, because some of them... They stumbled somewhere around midlife. Samson, Eli, the ones Franklin's done the last couple of weeks, Jonah, Balaam. Their faith wavered. They stumbled. Some stumbled at the end of their life Noah, David, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah. But there are people in Scripture like Joshua, Daniel, Peter, Paul, and of course, Mary. Um, if you laughed at that, you're old. Uh, <laughs> there are people that were examples for us that as their life went on, they grew in intimacy with God. Does, does that make sense? They didn't just go to church. They didn't just do. They, they tried to grow their work with God, which pauses me and causes me to ask some tough questions. Everybody hates this slide. Don, I thought we got rid of that slide. Yeah, I had to go dig it out. I went and found it. And we all know that if this slide comes up, there's about to be some things that are painful, and they are because they were painful to me. But we've got to ask ourselves, if we're going to go on a road trip with God, if we're going to take God with us, we've got to have the guts to look in the mirror and ask some difficult questions. So here's one. How has have your habits of intimacy with God Grown in the last six months? Simple question. How have your habits of intimacy with God grown in the last six months? We're in June. Do you realize 92% of New Year's resolutions never make it to the end of the year? It means 100% of us make them, only 8% of them finish. Okay? So we started this year, all through January, being a people of prayer right we're being a people of prayer had a prayer every day now we have franklin sends one out on monday that's a videotape and some of you need to be taping yours that he's asked you to do and you're going oh that's me um we send out a prayer, prayer prompt on thursdays we want to be a people of prayer how is your prayer life is it growing is it more active is it redundant are you doing the same things are you stuck in a prayer rut what about your bible study Are you in the habit of studying? Do you hear what I'm saying? That going with God means we have to be increasing our intimacy with God. What about in your relationships? In your relationships, are you manifesting Matthew 18? Matthew 18, we've talked about. If there is conflict between two people, you go to the person and you talk to them. You don't text them. You don't email them. You talk to them face to face. And you talk it out. If that doesn't work, you go with somebody else. If that doesn't work, you go with an elder. If that doesn't work, you bring in front of the church. That is the way to deal with conflict. Have we done that? Have you done that? Or do we get mad, frustrated, put something up on blast on Instagram, and and then walk away? Hearing me? God is calling us to be intimate in a different way. In behaviorally different. And I think... We see it in this guy's life. Mark clearly had some problems. Because the next time we hear him, we hear him in Scripture, the tone about him is much, much different. Flip with me over to Acts 15. I want you to see where he does just a couple of pages later. Acts 15, Paul is getting ready to go back out on the road and goes back to these churches. Look in Acts 15, verse 36. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit each city where, the where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark look at the ver- next verse but Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work their disagreement was so sharp that they separated Barnabas and John Mark went, took John Mark with him sailed for Cyprus Paul chose Silas and he le- as he left the believers entrusted him to the Lord's precious care but look there at the at the end of verse 38 or the end of verse 37 and 38 Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them. Now we looked at it in 13 and he said he just left. In this version it says deserted. Other versions say abandoned. Others say withdrawn. They're much harder words. Do you hear the difference there? What changed between that? To me it's very clear that Mark or Paul or one or both did not practice Matthew 18. There was a conflict it did not get resolved, and it, it caused trouble. It caused division. They didn't get it settled. It caused an unhealthy bitterness. People got hurt. And John Mark disappears from Scripture for about a decade. And then he reappears in the most unexpected place in Rome. From the most unexpected person, Paul. Paul, in 2 Timothy 4... Now, if you know much about Scripture, 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter. It's at the end of his life, and he is saying, I fought the good fight, I've run the race, I've fin- I finished the race, right? He is getting ready to die. He knows he's getting ready to die. It's the very last of his days. And in 2 Timothy 4, he says, Bring Mark to me, for he is a help and a comfort to me. What? What? Something changed radically in that 10 years, because earlier he was a a worthless quitter. He was an unreliable coward. Now he's a helpful comfort. In Colossians chapter 4 it says it again that Aristarchus and Mark and Justice are great. They are my only true fellow believers. What changed between Mark and John uh, John Mark and Paul that this happened? Something in there happened and And they were able to get through it. Friends, letting go of the past doesn't mean we pretend it didn't happen. Forgiveness is not saying, oh, it's no big deal. Look, it's a big deal. And we need to have the guts to say it's a big deal, but move past it. You hearing me? Because that's what a Christ follower is really going to do is going to look at their forgiveness behavior. Somehow, Paul was able to move past it. Whether they reconnected, whether Paul forgave him, whether John Mark asked for forgiveness, we don't know all the details, but I believe it's kind of a combination of all of that. What are you holding on to that's holding you back? Now, history tells us in that ten years that, that John Mark stayed with Barnabas and with Peter. He was a cousin to Barnabas. And Peter, in 1 Peter 5, calls him his son. Now, obviously, he's not his biological son, but he, he grew close to him. He mentored him. He walked with him as he ministered to, yes, Gentiles. Now, Paul was not an apostle, but he was with Peter a lot. And as we said earlier, he wrote the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark's the first of the four Gospels, written about 62-64 A.D. And most people think he wrote it by... What stories Peter told what he heard from Peter, what he saw from Jesus, he went on history will tell us he went on to help found the church in Egypt, and tradition will tell us that he was dragged to death and beaten to death by pagans on Easter Sunday in seventy two a d after he'd written the gospel the so you 're telling me, Don, the one that had the habit of running away running run away naked. <laughs> became the one that stayed to the very end? How do we do that? How do we hang on to the very end? Somewhere in there, John Mark started listening to all of these stories about Jesus and started listening and realizing that that is where redemption is. That is where hope is. It's not in my goodness. It's not in how many times I go to church. It's not how I vote. It's not how I act. It's how do I trust God? That's how it changes me. And it changes my behavior. So what can we learn? We can learn that grace is a long and winding road, thanks to the great words of Paul McCartney. Mark may have blown it. He may have abandoned. It may be everything that we think about John Mark. Well, he was a quitter. He got homesick. He was just a teenager. He just, you know, it might be. It might be every bit of that. But he didn't quit. He wasn't washed up. He might have blown it. And everybody looked at him and said he'd blown it. You're not finished. Now, I'm going to tell you, it may take a while. It took him 10, 12 years, okay? It's just, it's hard to understand that. We want it, well, I'm, I'm clean, I'm fixed right now. Well, no, sometimes there was a lot of damage done. God can reclaim, though. God is redemption. Jesus, he's all about new life. If you've blown it, I'm not saying that the marriage can be saved. I'm not saying that the business can be saved. I'm saying that you can continue. God can use you. He uses broken people like me and you and you and you and you. Anybody? Because if I remember right, a few minutes ago I asked if anybody blown it in here and pretty much every hand went up, okay? You may have blown it, but you're not finished. And I'll tell you, I, I think we need to learn this. We need to apologize when we're wrong. You hear me? You go, oh, Don, that's first grade. We know that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about apologizing when we're wrong. Do we know how to do that to our spouse? Do we know how to do that to our kids? Hey, own it. I blew it. I lost my temper. I wasn't right. You were right. I was wrong. Friends, don't miss the opportunity to get something corrected. Don't carry that baggage with you. You don't know how long. Well, I sure meant to do that. You hearing me? You might not have extra time. Get it fixed. Somewhere down the line, I believe John Mark apologized to Paul. And I believe Paul went past, grew past it. It's just got to be. For them to be that close at the end, there had to be a reconciliation. Scripture tells us that he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are to pull people back to him. This is my testimony from death to life i was worthless i was broken i was but now i am from runaway to testifying friends let god repair you i'm going to be blunt some of you are holding on to grudges and they're eating you alive let it go we got to get past whatever they've done to us whatever they did I don't care if it was yesterday or a long time ago or they're already dead and gone. The forgiveness that we need has to come in here. You hearing me? It has to come not from them. It's got to be, God, let, let me let go of this. Help me let go of this. Teach me to let go of this. And let my testimony be His grace. During World War II, England's Royal Air Force psychologist started studying, and they figured out something. They discovered that pilots made the most errors as they flew their planes home. They made their most mistakes. They had more crashes when they were landing home, not while they were out in battle. And they surmised that there is this energy and there is this elation of a successful mission and we're kind of mentally high-fiving in the pl- in the plane and we're cruising back home and there is a tendency an irresistible tendency to relax friends god is calling on you and me to finish the road trip with him to finish strong to not be Jonah and Balaam and give up in the middle. But to be John Mark and be a story of redemption, a story of reclamation. God is calling you to not give up today. Because friends, redemption is real. I don't care how far you've wandered, I don't care how long you've been gone. If this is your first time in church in 10 years, 50 years, I don't, I don't care. If you're just catching this online and you don't even know what this all is about, I'm glad you're here. You're one step away from Jesus. Don, I haven't been in a long time. You don't know what I've done. You're right. I don't. I know my Jesus. I know how powerful that cross is. What can wipe away my sin? <laughs> Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And there is a hope. A hope that is not in how much better I can be. My hope is in His person changing us a living hope would you pray with me father God you are great and greatly to be praised you are redemption you are living hope help us to walk in that today to live in that today to breathe you to see that we have purpose if we're alive, we're not dead, we're not done. Do amazing things in us today. May we put our hope in you, and you alone. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission connect with us visit our website at centralwired.org